Hello, and welcome to the green team of The Legendarium, the weird little spinoff podcast where patrons of The Legendarium gather together to discuss the books and topics the main crew hasn't gotten around to yet. I'm Little Red Book, and tonight I have with me Teskira. Is that me? Hey, I'm here. I can't pronounce it. <laughs> Sorry. And Starcast. Hi. Green Team did a month of short stories for May this year. Before we get started, what do you think about short stories versus novels? What are just preferences or what do you appreciate about one over the other? Who wants to start? Star, you get a start. Okay, the one who asks. <laughs> I have to say, because of the short story month, I really learned uh, to appreciate uh, short stories and uh, short fiction in general. Right now, I read a lot more short fiction than books, to be honest. Okay, Chesky? I like novels a little more just because I like seeing more of the books that I, I read. Usually, I'm always wanting more, but I appreciate a good short story that has a small, that tells a lot of story in a small amount. So I, I still like them. I just like novels a little more, I think. I think that I, I don't have a preference either way. They just fit different spots in my life. Does that make sense? Like mm -hmm. after I read uh, one of Brandon Sanderson's Doorstoppers, it's nice to have a couple <laughs> of <short> stories. <laughs> The nice thing about a collection of short, short stories, it's really nice that I can buy it or, or borrow it and I can read a couple and then set it down and then two months later go back and pick it back up again. And you can't really do that with some of the bigger fantasy novels because you forget who everybody is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Definitely a lot tougher. Yeah, the for other, sure. The other thing is I like about short, uh, short stories is there are a lot more uh, from the same author if there's short story uh, authors uh, because then you have a lot more to read in a sense. Mm -hmm. If that yeah. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, I prefer short story collections that are by a single author versus the mm -hmm. collections. Yes. Although having a collection of a bunch of different authors, sometimes you find, oh, I've never read this author before. Maybe. I really like the story. Maybe I should pick up the novel. Mm. Having there is, oh sorry. I was gonna say, just a collection of short stories are horrible for my to be read list. <laughs> it's explosive growth whenever I read uh, an anthology. Yeah, well, anthologies. Uh, the bad thing about them is that it's very hit and miss. Yes. You'll have like three really big names that write fabulous stories and then you have some names that aren't as big that also write good stories and then you have like just a piece of crap in the middle of it i mean yes. the last anthology i read was rogues and it, and it was edited by neil gaiman and J. R. R. martin mm. and um it was like <laughs> there were like four or five of the stories i just didn't even finish i'm like i don't care about this story it's dumb it's bad <laughs> so I have to say, I found uh, the Uncanny Mag Magazine. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Yeah. And I don't have the editors uh, right now in my head. Their, uh, their collections of uh, short stories are really, really excellent. I read uh, three, three um, magazines this uh, month, and I all really enjoy 
enjoyed them. And I didn't even uh, DNF uh, one uh, short story. Oh, well, that's awesome. That's great. Mm -hmm. One of the other things I think is really interesting is when you read an author's short story versus his longer, his or her longer fiction, it's really interesting to see, like some stories or some authors are just nail short stories and their novels are, are, have issues and Mm -hmm. others just do way, way better writing a novel. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say Jim Butcher writes way better short stories than he writes novels. And I'm a, Butcher fan. So don't don't come yell at me on Discord. <laughs> I, I quite like Dresden. I'm just saying he nails his short stories every single time. It's just interesting. Okay. I I have one author I I don't yet know how well uh, her her uh, books are, but uh, her, her novellas and uh, short stories both on the same level. It's uh, Aliette Baudard. Okay, so we are going to get started. We each picked a short story to discuss. The three stories are The Bridge of Crows by Zhe Yang. Sure, Ji Yang, I think. Okay, from The Mythic Dream. A Tale of Ash in, in Seven Birds by... Amal uh, El Motar. <laughs> from The Jen Falls in Love. And a study in Emerald by Neil Gaiman from Fragile Things. Spoilers for all of our stories right up front. These are very short stories, and so they're hard to talk about with, without spoilers. The time stamps will be provided by me. Chesky, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, I will start. I chose The Bridge of Crows by Ji Yang um, from The Mythic Dream, which was an anthology just all about uh, fables and myths. And so this story is a retelling of the cowherd and the weaver girl. Now, I don't I don't know that story at all, so I kind of went into this one blind. But this story uh, starts with a frame story where you have some birds or some beings talking, and they are gathering around a fire, and they are telling a camp story. And it starts with this one girl, and she is going on a journey. She has to journey to find this person who can help her with her problem, and she describes this desolate landscape and she's like, the land takes your memories and then your form and then your name. And then as she's climbing up the mountain to get to the witch, she's blocked three times by these giant uh, bird-like creatures, right? The first time they are, they ask for food and she gives them her food. And then the second time they ask for knowledge or their, their map and she gives it to them because she figures I'll just come back the way I came. And then the next time they ask for her name or her story and she gives them her name and then is able to meet with the, goes up, meets the witch says, I don't know who I am or what I'm doing here, but I have a story gives this, tells the story of some fairies. And it's an interesting thing because it's like the fairies, there's fairies in space and they play around with some astronauts and one of them is going to die and just be lost to the void. And then they save them. And then it turns out the girl is our fairy and not our human, which I kind of thought was, it was, a, it was a flip I wasn't prepared for. Yeah, it was a fun twist. And then the witch, yeah, the witch says, you know, there's two sides to every story. I can't help you because, you, you know, well, you've told me your story, but it could be, you know, it could be a different way. She goes back down and it turns out the corvids are the bird people she helped out, um, you know, 
they're back and they're going to come help her finish her task. Did I miss anything important? Um, so. All right. I think that was the gist of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The the interesting thing, well there's a lot several interesting things about this story. I was really confused. Are these fairies or are they aliens? Yeah, it says it, fairies, but they easily could be aliens. I mean, I think it was aliens because uh in the beginning it already said uh, that not everything is the truth. Uh, some some of the things are changed. Right. Uh, that, there is a quote in the beginning. That talks about that. Mm-hmm. And there's also these also seem to be interdimensional beings. Mm. Like they seem to live in another dimension, but they come and screw with us. <laughs> well, I mean that's that's just like fairies in in any yeah, kind of exactly. literature, though. Like the fairies, yeah, yeah. they do what they want. They show up. They cause mischief. They leave without consequences, except for this time where the fairy kind of falls in love with the human. And, you know, goes on for that. So um, first, I had a couple questions for you guys. Did you like the frame story? Was it worth it? Did it really not matter at all? It starts with, you know, them telling the story and then finishing the story and saying, you know, here we go to war. Do you like frame stories in general? I do like frame stories. Um, I don't know how much the framing actually did for this particular story. Not that I don't have a problem with it. That's not what I'm saying. It's like some stories, the framing is very important. And in this case, I don't think it necessarily was. Yeah. But it, I mean, it didn't distract. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, and no, no, it's it's okay. I, uh, I only wanted to say that I uh, felt the same way. If done really good, I like frame stories. Um, in this case, I felt it felt like it didn't do anything to the story. Really, there was there was the, this one twist with that uh, the people uh, were the um, bird creatures, but I kind of expected more. Like you could kind of see it coming. Because that's the twist, is that the COVIDs are actually fairies that rebelled, right? Something like that. They were, uh, part of the, they were part of the war that they had had previously. Right. Not necessarily that they were um, the other thing. So, all right. Well, what did um, you... Another question I had for you guys wait, is... Wait, wait, wait. Uh, what did you think? Oh, what did I think? <laughs> I like the frame story. I mean, it was, like, I agree with you guys. It wasn't anything exceptional. But I thought it was a better starting place than just saying, like, here's this random girl who's walking up the mountain. We have no idea who, why, or where until we get to to the middle of the story. So it provides a, a good starting point saying, like, let me tell you a story, kind of like a campfire setting. Mm-hmm. And then that allows the narrator to, to be like, okay, I'm not going to tell you why she's going up the mountain until she's already up the mountain, basically. And that works for mm-hmm. a campfire type story. It doesn't necessarily work for a regular story. Mm. Right. I think it would be really cool to he- hear this uh, as an audio book or to have it really told in person. I can really imagine that. Interestingly, I actually read this. I did not listen to it on audiobook. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Now um, we're, yeah. <laughs> 
but it would have been good to hear it read for sure. What did you guys think about the uh, the two truths to every story? Yeah, for, and the example they give is there's the fairy's truth that, oh, I saved this person and I keep them locked up so they're protected and they're safe and I love them. And the human side of that were like, I've been kidnapped. They say they love me, but I can't leave. I want to explore. I mean, how did you guys feel about the that element? Just the two tr- two sides to every story. I do we know that uh, this was uh, really the other side side or was it just a possibility? It's just a possibility. It says yeah. I'm just yeah. talking about in general like that. That two sided thing is is more okay. Yeah, no. I I really like uh, that this uh, was brought up. Science fiction fantasy has a uh, has a relationship with uh, <laughs> that. That's not a pun intended, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it ha- has a relationship with tumultuous or uh, toxic relationships between uh, characters. So I like that it was brought up. Hey, you. Maybe this is a toxic relationship. Uh, think for the, yourself. Is is this really okay? Mm-hmm. So there's two things I like about it. Expanding a little bit on what Star says is that I wouldn't say that it's an abusive relationship, but like you never think that you're in the wrong when you're in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it kind of explores that. But also this is really true. Like my sister and I, we'll talk about an event that happened and we have two completely different stories about it because just our different perspective and somewhere in the middle probably is the truth, but I'll be like, don't you remember when mom said this and that, when you did this? And she's like, no, she said this and that. And it's just, it's interesting. It's a real thing that happens in life. Memory is fallible and it changes. Our memories change over time. People remember yeah. things very differently from each other. Yeah. Or even uh, pick up things very different differently. I uh, had the experience uh, in the last man- months uh, very often that uh, some somebody uh, close to me uh, misunderstood a lot of things other people said. Said it, uh, for example, in a way, way to. Uh, to help them or to point something out. And th- they, they, those people thought they would help the people, help uh, my my family mem- member, that was the word. Uh, but uh, my family member took it as belittling. Right, took it in like mm-hmm. the worst light possible or whatever. And you were like, I yeah, was, yeah, no, that happens a lot. That's true. Um, I guess so, the the only other thing I really had to talk about it with this one is just uh, she sacrifices and gives to these other people, and by doing that, helps herself in the end. Right? Did you guys right. feel like that worked? Does it work? Was it? You know, tell what do you think? I liked it. Just well, straight up. After reading this, I almost picked. Wished that I had picked um, instructions, which is also in Fragile Things. It's a very classic fairy tale thing, and it does work. You, you know, you help somebody and they help you. It's, I mean, that's how we live in a society. (laughs) 
I have a, a mixed opinion about this. Like in the story itself, it works. I would think this is kind of a dangerous method to that uh, if you say um, when you sacrifice yourself so for somebody else, um, it will help you. I I think this can go re really quickly uh, wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I mean, there's hmm, like there 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 are. Um, points of no return. I mean, definitely you wouldn't want to be in the position where every single relationship you have is transactional. That would be bad. I think it's a, a balance, but there is a, yeah. there is definitely a, a need to give of yourself in a relationship as well and not just expect them to, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying this exactly how I want to, but it's hard uh, to explain it because it's not really a thing you can explain. It's more like, like a thing you have to trust your gut or your heart or your mind or what or whatever in that moment. Yeah. So as a mom, I gave up a lot for my kids. Not mm. like I, I'm not trying to make myself. You just do. You give up time. I mean, you know this, Chesky, right? You give up time, mm -hmm. you give up energy. You you could be reading the cool new book, but instead you're reading um, Cat in the Hat for the 15th time or the 20th. Time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's part of it. That is an important part of relationships, but also it can go too far for sure. Like, I think it can go can go too far when uh, when in a relationship only one person is constantly sacrificing uh, things and the other pe uh, and the other one just takes it and doesn't acknowledge it or uh, try to try to also sacrifice things for the other one like it's a balance between people i would say yeah it's definitely something that you have to Learn and negotiate through and negotiate in the senses of each relationship. You have to learn and understand what your relationship to that person really is. I don't know. Jesky, your yeah. thoughts? <laughs> my, my thoughts are that, you know, sacrificing to help others is usually a good choice. That That's kind of what the point of the story is. is it's not necessarily sacrificing in a relationship it's sacrificing even for people you don't know i mean she's willing to give the bird people mm -hmm. the people who are blocking her way you know the precious things that she has to to survive her food her way home and then her name her sense of identity and i'm not saying that we have to give everything to people who need help but i think that good deeds come around basically you know she does a good thing it comes back to her that's that's kind of what I'm saying is we're all nicer to each other. Things would be better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she's not just giving the thing up for herself. She's also giving it up for her lover. And when she's confronted with the final bird before she gets to the witch and her name was not as important as her purpose. 
but things need names to keep their shape in mind. So let's say, oh, wait, no, this is not the right one. Oh, shoot. Yeah, but I she, thought it, that was going well. So, I mean, <laughs> no, 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 this is the right one. But she gives up her name because it's more important for her to give up her name than to give up her, her story because she has to mm-hmm. tell her, her story in order to get help for her lover. And I just thought mm-hmm. that was really cool. Unfortunately, that was, it was not the right good, yeah. So, that's all I have to say. <laughs> I mean, that's all I pretty much had to say as well. So I, unless you guys had anything else you wanted to bring up really oh, real uh, quick. exciting about it. I do. Why do we retell the same stories over and over again? What do you think? I mean, if you boil stories down to the very base, they're all pretty much the same. So I think it's. But there's certain stories that are. Memeable, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't are use memeable. That <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, you know, like there's there's a lot of stories that kind of have the same. They're throughout cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, Little Red Riding Hood is one. Cinderella is another. And this story, like journeying to give things up, this type of story is very common. So why? What do these stories say about us as people, as human beings? And when I, not me and you all personally. <laughs> God, this is hard. <laughs> Didn't we have a, have a discussion about this yesterday? We might have. I wasn't paying attention to Discord yesterday. I, I was asleep at that time. I only, uh, over, uh, I only, uh, saw it a little, a little bit today i yeah i think we the similar stories get retold often because they have good lessons in them and so if you have the same basic lessons or like reasons for telling the story then it eventually you you know you get used to that more and that's that's why they pop up so often or so frequently and i i agree with that i also think they help you cope with the human condition it gives Mm -hmm. meaning when you come up against something that you're struggling with and these are just common struggles that all people have (laughs) which is why i like fairy tales (laughs) i didn't even think a fairy tale (laughs) which is normal right like right but i i think also also at least uh and in Germany, it's it's because they are to- told to the children to uh, teach teach them things. When coming into adulthood, a lot of people don't uh, listen to fairy tales anymore. In older generations in Germany, every um, sun- Sunday, there there is this like almost ritual of a. Uh, of watching uh, or hearing uh, a fairy tale like uh, Cinderella or, or Snow White, whatever is uh, just on on the TV. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, Star, you're up. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, I'm a bit nervous. Don't about... be nervous. You'll be fine. <laughs> it's just my, my short story is unusual <laughs> it, it is very unusual real and great. 
I loved it. Oh, I loved it too. So, as you already know, my chosen short story is A Tale of Ash and Seven Birds by Amal El Mutar. Amal is a Canadian poet and fiction writer, probably best known for her and Max Gladstone's novella This Is How You Lose the Time War. I chose this uh, short story because of two reasons. The first one is because I wanted to talk about uh, short stories with an unusual uh, storytelling and uh, writing style. And A Tale of Ash and Seven Birds is a perfect example for that. It's also the reason it's basically impossible to sum it up in plot-wise. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's hard. Uh, it, it's also, be, also because of that reason that it's a question later on. <laughs> so I'm skipping that for now. <laughs> okay. Because I think uh, everything is um, is dependent on the reader's own perspective and inter interpretation of uh, the short story. Um, as its themes are buried under a heap of uh, prose and a thick layer of metaphors. Mm -hmm. uh, by also being divided into seven parts. Because it's not complicated enough. <laughs> <laughs> The second uh, reason I cho chose it is uh, because I felt weirdly drawn to the short story to my two lovely co-hosts. I, <laughs> I didn't. I only read it once at that time, and and spoiler alert, I didn't know anything. <laughs> I did not understand the short story in the least. <laughs> And I don't even know really what I thought uh, about the short story at first, but whatever it was, it was trash. <laughs> and now I just can't think about it without uh, thinking about its themes and how I relate to those uh, seven birds. Now that I have more than enough uh, introduced the short story, my first question. What were your thoughts when reading it for the first time? What were your thoughts uh, when we rereading it and did you notice any themes I, who wants to go i, I can go um because i i'm already going uh yeah. first of all i loved it the first time i read it <laughs> so i was yeah. really surprised when you said that you thought it was trash but i can understand that it's a, I, I it's think definitely it trash uh, my thoughts about it like oh, what i thought it were was trash. about okay yes. yes okay that makes more sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm, i'm generally speaking not super into surreal fiction but she mm -hmm. the author does it very well yes um i like one of the things that struck me especially on my second reread but i noticed it on the first reread is that at the very beginning they're saying we and then the yeah. wizard nation invites them in and it's you 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 through all the seven birds and then when they become the phoenix it's we again. So I just thought that was really interesting. I'm not saying I have any special insight onto what that means, but I thought... I have a few of you. <laughs> okay. Is that all you wanted to say? Uh, for right now. I'm sure, sure I'll think of more dumb things to say. That's my brand. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so uh, I, the first time I read it, I was like, what the heck did StarCast just have me read? Like... <laughs> <laughs> 
I knew he liked weird books, but this one's just extra weird. <laughs> um, but I, I did enjoy it. I reread it another time, and it's very short, so it's not like hard to reread. Um, I liked. I liked it. I liked the way it goes. I kind of feel like I don't know if we want. Are we okay to just like talk about things we thought about it now, or you want to wait? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I, I like that the in my mind this is the the order of the birds that they transform to they I think in my mind they start as a phoenix right then they go to a sparrow and then a crow and then a cormorant and then a swallow a hummingbird the great horned owl and then the phoenix again and so I like that you know they were defeated by the wizard nation and that's all we know and so they became a sparrow and they just tried to like live their life you know, they were trying to be unobtrusive and small, you know, and that didn't work. So then they went to the become the crow and they're like, well, maybe if we talk more, they'll understand us, you know, and then that didn't work. And so they go to a cormorant. Okay, we'll just go off way away and do our own thing. You know, that didn't work. So then they're like, okay, well, I'm going to be a swallow. Like, I'll be so fast. Nobody will be able to catch me. That's that didn't work. Sorry. What? <laughs> That's the hummingbird. <laughs> no, the hummingbird is the beauty. Oh, yeah. Okay, you're yeah. right. Yeah, so the swallow their speed, and they're like, okay, that didn't work. Like, okay, I'm going to be the hummingbird. And they're like, even as like the beautiful thing that I thought they were liking me for, you know, they still got me. They still poisoned me. They stopped me. And then I was like, well, I'm going to become a great horned owl. I'm, I'm going to be so strong and so powerful, nobody can affect me. And then in the great horned owl one, they actually aren't attacked at all by the wizard nation. And then they choose to become the Phoenix again, right? They rise as the Phoenix. But in every, I, I checked it out, in every story, there's always a mention, in every bird, there's always a mention of fire or ash or sparks. Um, mm -hmm. And so you get that theme going through the whole thing. And I kind of was like, this is very similar to uh, like the cycle of abuse, which I mean, is mm -hmm. kind of a, a weird thing where it's just like, you are beaten by somebody. And in the beginning, they're like, I just want to be, I want to be subservient. I don't want to be attacked. I'm going to do my best to make it. Oh, it's my fault. I chose the wrong form. And they do that over and again. And, and then they become the great horned owl. And they're like, now I'm the one in charge. Nobody's hurting me. And if I happen to kill those other birds, that's their fault. Right. And then, of course, it breaks the cycle by going back to being a phoenix and being like, no, I am me. Right. I like that. Um, one of the things that kind of struck me about this they also always mention how they raise their young in every single story mm -hmm. so yeah i so oh i just slipped into german for no, the first um yeah uh as i said i can't really remember what i first thought about the short story and I think I was just in equal measures uh, odd and confused. And I didn't understand it at the time, why I was drawn to it. But when I read it the second time, it uh, dawned on me that it was really similar to things I read uh, at the time. Like I... I uh, researched at the time a lot about about uh, his history of uh, Germany or uh, history of um, LGBTQ folks, what uh, all happened. And they were really, really similar to the short story here. 
and uh, because of that i i it dawned on me that maybe it's because story is about oppression as you said Saskia and uh, Ella a little bit talked about how it starts off with we and i thought about that maybe it symbolizes like a group of people like shapeshifters fleeing the country or like uh, whatever ever um, and uh, coming to this uh, new nation hoping uh, to be um, helped but uh, that they are pushed pushed away and uh, i thought about how uh, those seven birds are different uh, ways to deal with oppression like uh, different people and it can also be a cycle like we see it from one from uh, one point of view but it also can be you are stuck as one bird like there are people who are uh, who are uh, successful at being uh, for example um, a great uh, horned owl as painful that probably is yeah that were my thoughts about it. Okay, yeah, I, I thought it was about colonialism, but <laughs> I thought it was. Yeah, I don't know. I just conquest and starts with a war that you don't see, so it's kind of. So the other writer was also a beautiful writer, but I really, I'm going to read the last line in the book because I just think that the writing is stunning. Okay, we f- may fall as cinders scattered on the wind. We may fall as leaves a bruising brightness, or we may not. Death is a memory. We keep around the broken space of our heart, and there is always room left over. And it reads like a, it just, she writes, you said she was a poet. She writes like a poet. Yes. She actually, uh, something, this is on the same thing of poetry. There's a a style of writing um, that I know a little bit about called a, a chiasmus. It's basically you start with something and then you end with it. And that last line is in the very beginning as well. The uh, the ash settling of the sparks, or if you read it again, uh-huh. exactly. But it's the it's in the very beginning, you know, just changed a little bit, so it was a perfect thing, right, like that. So I didn't notice that. So next question: <laughs> the world building and the plot uh, are where we wake. Why you do? Why do you think it was written this way? What could you piece together from the world? And did it enhance or hinder the story and its themes? So this is this is like, I, this is why I prefer novels. It's like, I don't need any more information to, under, to have a good story here. But would I have loved to know why the Wizard Nation was after them so much? Yes. Would I have loved to know why they kept flying, kept doing what they did, or how they shapeshifted? Yes, but it didn't matter, right? It's not the point of the story. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it works very well. And I like the way it was written, but I also am like, I want more. I want all the details. I want to know everything. <laughs> and that's just not how it works, right? So that's, that's my I thoughts mean, on that. It was intentionally vague because this is, surreal fiction it's supposed to be surreal which means that you bring you bring to it your own much more than with a normal novel or short story you bring your own experiences like what you're going and and 
place it on it on the literature. So it can mean a lot of different things. And I bet if I read this book or this story, like two years from now, I'd have a completely different reaction to it. And it's meant to be like that. And I really loved loved uh, that about it. Like I, I loved so like uh, like piecing together the tidbits, the tiny tidbits. For example, um, like uh, I was so excited when I when I pieced it together uh, together that maybe there could be shapeshifters. Mm-hmm. Like this idea, dear, I like this idea so much that there could be shapeshifters. Like a little red book uh, just said that you can piece it together uh, for yourself. For uh, yourself, it's um, a little bit like like a Lego play box. You have your pieces and you you build upon it or build with it. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So I have one more question. Um, as the story deals with a lot, lot of birds and their attributes, why do you think Amal specifically used birds as the symbolism? Do you, do you relate to any of the birds? It is interesting that we have two stories with bird things in them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think she used birds because birds... Well, I, I think she used birds in part because of the phoenix that she starts with. Mm. And and that's um, a pretty wide known myth. Yeah, and that's why she used birds. I also think that birds have a, a huge number of survival strategies, and so she was able to use different birds' survival strategies for different things. Like the cormorant lives out on an island and actually builds an island. And then the sparrow or the swallow lives in the barns of the wizard nation. And I, so I think that that's probably why she used birds. Mm-hmm. And did I relate to any of the birds? No, not particularly. <laughs> no, I don't think I related to very many birds either. But uh, I think she used birds because they fit with the story. Um, I don't know if she'd chosen dogs, that would have been. That would have been very different. I think birds really fits the the feelings that she was trying to get out as well. Mm-hmm. And dogs wouldn't have worked at all because of what she was trying to convey because it was oppositional and dogs are not oppositional to people. <laughs> yeah, no, like, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it does yeah, it's not I think the she also used uh, birds because they symbolize freedom. And you you have uh, this kind of uh, this kind of contrast between freedom and uh being uh not per se per se um in the being in a cage but it's similar mm-hmm. I think. being able to fly in that yes sort of thing. well yeah no i see that too yeah uh Sasuke, did you relate to any of the birds I would love to say that I was the great horned owl, but I'm <laughs> probably not. Uh, I'm sorry. You were definitely the Phoenix. not. <laughs> uh, I know I'm not. I know. Uh, Cause the great horned owl is very merciless and cruel. And, and that's definitely not me. Uh, I, I'm not sure who I would be the sparrow, or the crow most likely. Uh, so I would probably be the crow. Yeah. I mean, 
I talk a lot. Yeah, a I. Lot. <laughs> I personally personally hope I I'm not not a uh, owl because I I think think uh, for what it symbolizes me is just uh, like someone who. Uh, how could I explain it the best? Someone who uh, goes away from, from uh, for example, for their family, and then starts uh, to to feed upon their own family. That is kind of what the owl symbolizes for me, and I think that's the owl is kind of the most heartbreaking and sad of the birds for me, because they twisted themselves so much, and I'm. I can relate a lot more to the fir first bird, but the, wait, it was the... Sparrow? Sparrow, yeah, I think it was the sparrow that was the first bird. Like, I reread it just yesterday and thought, like, hmm, I'm really between, like, the moment from sparrow to crow, I feel like, mm -hmm. because that felt really like, oh my, that's really me. I like that one sentence. Mm -hmm. I could kind of relate to that. Have either of you read A Study in Scarlet specifically? Nope. Or H.P. Lovecraft in general? Or American Gods? Nothing. I've read um, American Gods and I've read a little bit of Sherlock Holmes, but not A Study in Emerald or A Study in Scarlet. That's, that's the very first uh, Sherlock Holmes book, by the way. For, maybe story. I have then, and I just don't remember I don't it. Know. Anyway, but you said that it was really interesting because you said in the Discord, this is horror to me. And I was like, this isn't horror. Well, I'd like to but, clarify that a little bit. That's I all. I know, I know, I know. That's, that's fair. I'll let you. What I found out is that he was specifically trying to marry um, H.P. Lovecraft with Sir Ar Arthur Conan Doyle. Like, that was his goal for this story. So you're right. It is horror. Yeah, no, it's uh, I when I say that this book is horror, I don't mean like a jump scare or that you're supposed to be like incredibly like scared when you're reading it. But just like the atmosphere that the book has as you're reading it. And you know, we said spoiler, so it's OK, like the green blood. And then we meet the queen and it's this otherworldly being and just and the moon is all red and it's way closer. And just like the atmosphere of the book is just like. Nothing is right. Nothing is the, the way it's supposed to be or the way you know it is. And so it just puts you on, it can just put you on edge a little bit, but not in mm -hmm. a bad way. I think it just enhances it because you're like, oh, what's going to be the next thing that's wrong with this world? You know, green blood, that's weird. And then you're like, oh, and the queen is this, you know, Cthulian beast type yeah. thing. You know, you're like, oh, this is like, so that's, that's the horror that I would be like feeling is, is more what I was thinking. What do you think, Star? Do you have an opinion about it being horror? It's hard for me because every time something is supposed to be horror, uh, I'm like, okay, I can see it. I wasn't scared, <laughs> but I can see it. <laughs> I, I never fair. have really opinions about it. <laughs> okay. Like, I, I don't think it's meant to scare you. Just... Puts no, you off a little bit. Really, yeah. H.P. Lovecraft. When you read anything by him, most of it is not scary. 
But like you mm-hmm. said, it puts you on edge. You get this uneasy, creepy feeling. But, and so the reason why I bring up American Gods and the basic premise star is that um, we create gods by believing in, in them is because he actually talks about how what's happened in this world is that the gods were put away. They were sho- shoved out of our world and then they basically come back to take over and take us back over control. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a really cool part of the story. And they're like, you ignored us and you can't ignore us anymore. And we're going to marry your people and be really creepy and weird. And control you and do and everything. Yeah, And make you sacrifice Oops. to us again. Uh, you stop. So it's kind of like um, the, the gods that the gods are mad that we ignored them basically. <laughs> and I just thought that was a cool aspect and it made me think a little bit about American gods. So a brief recap, this is a retelling of a study in Scarlet. Gaiman takes the frame of the story, but recasts Sherlock and Watson as unnamed characters and Queen Victoria as an ancient god that arose from the deep to reclaim dominance over mankind. Interestingly, all the other characters are the same. Her nephew is murdered, and through logic, our unnamed detective determines it was carried out by a resistance movement headed by what you find out at the end of the story, the real our world, Sherlock Holmes and Watson. They remain uncaptured. So, what did you like or dislike about this story? Can I first talk about the twist about it? Talk about the what now? The Go twist. Ahead. Yeah. Yeah, because finally I kind of saw it coming some pages uh, before. I thought to myself, huh, Sherlock is kind of behaving weird. His philosophy kind of seems off to me. I haven't read read, um, Sherlock Holmes, the the original Sherlock Holmes, Mm -hmm. but I have uh, read quite a few retellings of Sherlock Holmes, Mm -hmm. which is kind of ironic. So so I I already thought, it's weird that he kind of behaves differently than... In all the other retellings I have read, mm-hmm. and when when the re- the reveal came, I was like, "Oh, that makes sense." Yeah, and I was gonna say, like, one of the reasons why I kind of think that this is Moriarty is because in the beginning you're led to believe, or like you're not led to believe, but it, he you're following such a smart character. You're like, oh, this is obviously Sherlock Holmes because you know it's a Sherlock Holmes retelling, right? And so you're like, oh, I'm following somebody really smart. That's got to be Sherlock Holmes. Then you see the reveal, oh, it's not Sherlock Holmes. You're like, well, who else is really smart? It's usually his nemesis, which he is Sherlock Holmes' nemesis by the end. And so it's got to be Moriarty. And you can't convince me it's not, Red. I'm sorry, Moriarty does not have a sidekick. (laughs) <laughs> but he could. There's no reason he, he can't have a, side, he a sidekick. He's, a, he's an antisocial sociopath. <laughs> In a I mean, world of monsters and Cthulian mythos, it doesn't course, track. Like, you can have a sidekick. You, you could say that Sherlock Holmes is also an antisocial sociopath. <laughs> yeah, <if> he <laughs> has a sidekick. So there's no, there's really no point. I there's no I denying it. I think, I think yeah. we're in a, we're in an inter, a different dimension. There's something I just remem- remembered. I wanted to talk about it, but I forgot. But now I remembered. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really important. 
Am I the only one that thinks that we just call him call him Moriarty now? I don't care. Um, <laughs> am I the only one who thinks uh, that Moriarty is one of the old ones? Yes. Yeah, because he's, he's pretty clearly... shown not to be an old one, at least. Yeah. 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 He's he. He's like, a a worshiper of the old ones. Is what he is. No, no, because uh, it was said uh, in I don't know when that unnamed uh, character, our narrator, talked about how he's uh, how he shouldn't be surprised that he's really good at disguises, that he walked in as totally different people, walked in uh, in his room for what five minutes and came out uh, as Moriarty again, in like. Uh, Almost no time at all. And I was like, oh, oh, old one, old one, is here? No. No, I just chalked that up to a Sherlock Holmes reference because he's always just doing disguises in Sherlock Holmes stories. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's like a feature that he does that. He'll like walk up and he'll like, Watson, meet me at the, um, wherever. And then he'll show up as an old lady and they'll whip off his hat. Kind of like, have you read, um, Mistborn Second Era. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, kind of like Wayne, but not funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> of course, many people would tell me that Wayne is not funny as well, but I disagree. He's Bud's yeah. funny. And the the other thing that bugged me uh, was the, the theater. The theater pieces. Did they reference something? Because I fo- found it odd that they that were um, explained so much. You're talking about the resistance movement. Uh, no, no, uh, they uh, were in the theater. Oh, the theater. Yeah, and there were three um, pieces. Um, right, right. I don't know. Okay. Oh, either. Except that I, if I remember correctly, there is a scene in a theater in. A study in Scarlet. I was going to say, it oh, okay. really well yeah. to the uh, the Sherlock Holmes, A Study in Scarlet, from what I know of it, you know, aside from the the twist about it. So other than that, it's pretty same beats kind of a thing. Yeah, it's a little shorter, but yeah, it's, it's almost the exact same beats. That's what I'm saying. That's what's, So if you've read A, a Study in Scarlet, um, it, it's just, it's so weird to read this story because it, it follows along the study in Scarlet, except it's Emerald. And I mean, even like, um, what's his face? The Lieutenant, he's a character in Sherlock Holmes. You know, like yeah. all of the characters are the same. It's like, they all line up. Now that I derailed the convo <laughs> back <laughs> on the track. So, so what did you like, like it? Dislike? <laughs> did you like it or dislike it? <laughs> uh, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't uh, my favorite sto- story. Like uh, I think the thing that that I disliked were the epigraphs. I completely didn't understand them. I'm trying to remember because I was thinking about this and then I forgot to write a note about it. I looked up some of the epigraphs and they they really do just look like newspaper advertisements. You know, <laughs> are you dead or like dying? Like take our pills and you'll be better. Or like have some uh, Jekyll and Mister Hyde powder. Release your inner self. Yeah, you know. So just kind of. More hints at uh, the fantastical versus the regular. 
I agree. I don't think you're meant to take a deeper meaning. I think they're flavor. They're yeah. mood okay. And they're supposed to be kind of funny. Yeah, and they are. They're, the ones I read were pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I, for, I forgot to write. I wanted to write a couple down and talk about them, but I forgot to do that. Because once again, I, I like my job. <laughs> I did understand one. And the one that I did understand, I thought was kind of funny. The Jekyll and Hyde was right. funny. But I, I also only understood that one because my school tracked me uh, to a Jekyll and Hyde theater piece. I think it kind of plays the same role, again, referencing Miss Born Era 2, uh, the, mm. the, the ads. In the broadsheets do, yeah. The broad sheets, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And some of, uh, like, the radiation pills wasn't one that an ad, wasn't there an ad for radiation pills or something? I mean, like, that's a thing that people actually took radiation pills at one point. What? <laughs> yes. No. Yes. It's a thing that happened. It was, most of the references were... Uh, things that really were things, <laughs> yeah, in one form or another. But you are. yeah, in fact, shoe stores used to have X-ray machines in it, and you would stick your feet <laughs> in the shoes, the X-ray machine, to see if they fit right. And you would like look down, and the, meanwhile, your eyes are getting irradiated, and your shoes are. Yeah, we yeah. weren't very smart back then. No, we weren't. Yeah. <laughs> but word, they didn't know at the time. <laughs> they didn't know. Yeah, I hope. Uh, I I don't think so. Uh, I I have several stories I can tell you about radiation in the fifties and sixties. <laughs> yeah, I I I like this story, but I feel like in my mind, it falls to the same problem that I have with other Sherlock Holmes books that I've read, where there's a mystery, you as the reader have no idea what's going on, and then it's solved. And then there's not much of a real story. Like, there is, but there isn't. Like, if you read a lot of Sherlock Holmes, it's, you follow here, you go here, they ask questions, and then Sherlock solves it. And you're like, well... I could have never solved that in a million years because I don't have any of that information unless I know it. Oh beforehand, yeah. Which is the point. I know I'm not No, but like, they're not like, they don't feel like real stories to me for the most part. Cause they're just, they're just like snippets. Yeah, and this one like, is, is very similar where it's like, okay, here's this, here's the queen. Here's this. I deduced it, but it's a little better. Right. Right. Well, I would say, um, that's a legitimate complaint. Um, it's not quite as bad as Agatha Christie, but uh-huh. Agatha Christie, uh, she is way worse about it, but I mean, there's a couple little hints, like a tall person was smoking a pipe and something, there was two men in the room and all this kind of stuff. So there's kind of a little hint, but yeah, he just deus ex machinas the ending, like most of the stories, except that Sherlock, he's like, boom! And you're like, what? Yeah, well, and that's a true Sherlock Holmes thing. It was just, it doesn't make a good story for the most part, because there's no... Most mysteries are like that. I mean, I like mysteries, so you know, I'm fine. I never want to try and figure out the mystery before the end of the book. This is like totally a personality thing. But it's a 100% legitimate complaint, and it, it, it does happen in this book happens in most Sherlock Holmes stories. You know, and like I said, Agatha Christie's another one um, who does it all the time. 
So uh, any final thoughts on our short story project for the month of May? Yeah, here's one of those. Uh, I got one of those uh, chapter headings pulled up for you. Oh, okay. There you go. This is uh, from chapter four. Liver complaints, bilious attacks, neurasthenic disturbances, Quincy arthritis. These are just a handful of the complaints for which a professional exsanguination can be the remedy. <laughs> in our offices, we have sheaves of testimonials, which can be expected inspected by the public at any time. Do not put your health in the hands of amateurs. We have been doing this for a very long time. V. Tepes, professional exsanguinator. Remember, it's pronounced Sepesh. Romania, Paris, London, Whitby. You've tried the rest. Now try the best. You know, just being a, a play to <laughs> Vlad Tepes, you know, Dracula, yeah, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah. It's hilarious. They're funny. They're all like that. So, vampires were not an actual thing <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> but I mean, they really they did be. bleed people. <laughs> I mean, that was a thing that happened. <laughs> You're sick. Let's just, you know, let some blood out. That'll work. Other thoughts? Short stories are good, but I like novels better. I like short stories better. We have to fight now. <laughs> I'll win. I've got bigger books on my side to hit yeah. you with. Uh <laughs> I, have, I have a larger num number of short stories. We can surround you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just going to be the peacemaker and say I like them both. It just it depends on what I'm looking for. Uh, so, Chesky, do you have a shameless plug for us? Uh, sure. You can find me on the Libromancy podcast. I read and review books and usually just talk about how great they are. So, Unless you get mad occasionally. Unless I, I get mad, yeah. I think I've heard one where you were not mad, just... It's more yeah. of a disappointed, like, this book could have been so much better, oh, and it wasn't. So that's the worst, though. It's like when your dad looks at you and say, I'm not angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really disappointed. <laughs> um, I have a podcast we release every other Thursday called Wordless with um, formerly uh, Aridandis on Green Team and now Mark. And we review short stories and novellas. So this concludes our episode. Our music is Galactic Damages by Jingle Pucks. You can find us on the Legendarium Discord. The invite link is, at, is on legendarium.com. We are also on Twitter at Green Team Pod. Join us in supporting the Legendarium via Patreon. Thank you, Craig, for loaning us a little corner of your media empire and a shout out to Rise and Brave for starting it all. Thank you, Chesky. Thank you, Uncle. Thank you, Star. Thank you. And for Green Team, I'm Little Red Book. Until next time, bye. 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 Sorry about that. You uh. are forgiven this time. Don't drink large Dr. Peppers before.
starting your podcasting. Um, 